This summer we've been studying the life of Jeremiah, and so today we'll conclude that series. And if you have a copy of God's Word, look with me. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 37. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 37. We're going to look at verses in 37 and 38. And while you're turning to this passage, we've been looking at this prophet, this weeping prophet. God gave him an assignment, and his assignment was to tell the people, repent, or judgment is coming. And for 40 years, he preached the message, repent, or judgment is coming. And the judgment, he told them that the Babylonians, at one time he just said a people, then he said the people from the north, and then finally he said the Babylonians are going to come, and they're going to destroy Judah, they're going to destroy Jerusalem, and then they're going to destroy the temple and take the people captive. And so he told them, if you repent, it won't happen. And no one listened. Forty years. And he was abused verbally, thrown into prison, beaten up, accusations made, and yet he persevered. And now we come to chapter 37. A new king is in power, but nothing has really changed. Chapter 37, verse 1. Now Zedekiah, son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had made king in the land of Judah, reigned as king in the place of Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord which he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. Yet King Zedekiah sent Jehoiakim, son of Shammael, and Zephaniah, son of Messiah, the priest, to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Please pray to the Lord our God on our behalf. Look down at verse 11. Jeremiah is giving the word. Jeremiah says to the king, Now it happened when the army of the Chaldeans had lifted the siege from Jerusalem because of Pharaoh's army, that Jeremiah went out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin in order to take possession of some property there among the people. While he was at the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard, whose name was Erijah, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Hananiah, was there. And he arrested Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are going over to the Chaldeans. But Jeremiah said, A lie. I am not going over to the Chaldeans. Yet he would not listen to him. So Erijah arrested Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. And then the officials were angry at Jeremiah and beat him. They put him in jail in the house of Jonathan the scribe, which they had made into a prison. For Jeremiah had come into the dungeon, that is, the vaulted cell, and Jeremiah stayed there many days. Now King Zedekiah sent and took him out, and in his palace the king secretly asked him and said, Is there word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You will be given into the hand of the king of Babylon. Now look at chapter 38, verse 4. Now the official said to the king, Now let this man be put to death inasmuch as he is discouraging the men of war who are left in the city and all the people by speaking such words to them. This man is not seeking the well-being of this people, but rather their harm. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. And then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern there was no water but only mud, and Jeremiah sank into the mud. Pray with me.
Our Heavenly Father, today as we open your word and Father, as we study it, I pray that it will come alive to us. That Father, we'll understand this really happened. These are real people going through real problems. Help us, Father, today as we look at the life of Jeremiah. Father, as we examine his secret on how to persevere. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the strangest memorials, maybe in the world, stands in a battlefield at Saratoga, New York. It's in a secluded part of the cemetery upon a stone slab. There is sculpted the likeness of a military boot for a man's left leg. There is an inscription underneath. It says, in memory of the most brilliant soldier of the Continental Army. Who was that soldier, the most brilliant soldier of the Continental Army that that was dedicated to? Benedict Arnold. The most despised man in American history. Here is something dedicated to him, calling him the most brilliant soldier in the Continental Army. Why? Because he was wounded in the left leg when he was going against Quebec. He was also wounded in another battle, and his left thigh was fractured by a bullet. Arnold joined the Army in 1775. He really became colonel immediately, and he was very successful as a military leader. In fact, he helped Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys capture a fort. He was also uh, instrumental with George Washington. In fact, he was one of George Washington's most trusted officers. And yet, something happened. He was not allowed to be promoted. He failed to win a promotion to major general. At the same time, he was also accused of personal misconduct, and he was court-martialed in 1779. George Washington only reprimanded him, reprimanded him, and he became angry and bitter. And so he decided he was going to betray his country. And Arnold was the commandant of West Point, and he agreed to sell the fort to the British. And they discovered the plan, and he found out they knew about him, and he escaped. He went over to the British side. He became a brigadier general in the British Army. He died in London, 1801, age 60. And yet, even today, his name, Benedict Arnold, is still a terrible name. How many of you name your children Benedict Arnold? He was a traitor. And that word traitor is a harsh word. And that is the word they're going to use on Jeremiah. Now listen, no one loved Judah more than Jeremiah. No one loved Jerusalem more than Jeremiah. No one loved the temple more than Jeremiah. No one loved the Lord more than Jeremiah at this time period. And now they're going to call him a traitor. I mean, this whole summer as we're looking at the life of Jeremiah, the question is how? How can you do this, Jeremiah? How can you hold out? I mean, for 40 years you're preaching and no one listens. For 40 years people have laughed at you, they've ridiculed you. And you've just been faithful. In the last 40 years, you have been arrested, you've been tortured, you've been thrown in prison. Accusations have been thrown toward you. And yet he was faithful. How do you explain that? How can you persevere like Jeremiah? He learned how to do it. Please listen. Your faithfulness will always be judged by how you handle adversity, okay? Your faithfulness will always be judged by how you handle adversity. 
how you persevere. Anyone can survive. Anyone can persevere when everything's going great. But you will be judged by how you handle adversity. Many, many years ago on Monday Night Football, yes, it's that time of year again, I'm thinking football. It was a game with the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants, and Frank Gifford made an observation about Walter Payton, the running back. He said, what a runner. Do you realize that altogether, Walter Payton had gained more than nine miles rushing in his career? Just imagine, more than nine miles. Dan Deardorff, the another uh, person on set, said this, and to think that every 4.6 yards of the way, someone was knocking him down. <laughs> we love when people get knocked down and get up. Some of you may remember what happened in the 1992 Olympic trial marathon. It made national news. It made international news. Beth Ann DeSantis was running. To compete in the marathon in the Olympics, you have to run that 26 miles, 385-yard uh, race in less than two hours, 45 minutes to compete at the Olympics. That's your goal. And she started strong. And she ran strong for 23 miles. And then all of a sudden, she started having trouble with 2.43 seconds left. Two minutes, 43 seconds left. Something happened. 200 yards from the finish line, she fell. And she stayed on the ground for 20 seconds. And the crowd started yelling, get up, get up, get up. And the clock was ticking away. She only had 2 minutes, 44 seconds to make it. She finally got to her feet, and she began to walk to the finish line, and she fell again. Five yards from the finish line. There's 10 seconds left, and the crowd is yelling for her, get up, get up. And so she literally began to crawl toward the finish line. The crowd began to cheer her on. She crossed the finish line. Her time for that meet was two hours, 44 minutes, 57 seconds. And she made the Olympics. She wouldn't give up. That's Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I am not going to give up. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that we run a race with perseverance and we're not to give up. So how can we do that? This morning I want to look at this passage. And I want us to just look at two things. Number one, the prophet who persevered and then the principle to persevere. The prophet who persevered and then the principles to persevere. First, let's look at the prophet. Here is Jeremiah. We've been looking at this this whole summer. Here's Jeremiah. He's faithfully proclaiming God's word of the coming destruction of Judah and Jerusalem and the temple. Now, all this is coming true, but no one's believing him. I mean, you would think that Jeremiah has, has said, the people from the north are going to come. Then later on, he said, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to lay siege of the city. You think that once they laid siege of the city, people would think, hey, he may have something here. He's been proclaiming this message, and it's coming true but no one's listening. So in chapter 37, we're introduced to a new king named Zedekiah. Now, Zedekiah, a little history, he was put on the throne by the Babylonians. Now, you would think because he was put on the throne by the Babylonians, he would be on the Babylonian side. He was not, but neither was he on Judah's side. He was on his own side. Look at verse 2. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord which he spoke through Jeremiah the prophets. You have a new king. The word of Jeremiah is still being spoken. But he nor his servants nor the people listen to Jeremiah. Listen, we've learned through history, changing political leaders will not change people's hearts. Only revival. Look at verse 3. 
I love this. King Zedekiah said, somebody go to the prophet Jeremiah and said, please pray to the Lord, our God, on our behalf. I love that. He won't listen to God, but he wants God's blessing. Now, understand, the same time he's doing this, he's trying to get the Egyptians to come to help him fight the Babylonians. He's not following God's rule. He's not following God's command. He wants God's blessing, but he doesn't want to follow God. He hasn't listened to God. He hasn't obeyed God. He hasn't followed God, but he still wants God's blessing. Does that sound like us? Don't we do that? (laughs) We, We don't follow God's command. We don't listen to what God tells us to do. We do what we want to do, but we still want God's blessing. We don't read the Bible daily. We don't pray daily. We don't give as we should give. We don't share our faith. We come to church only when we feel like it, and then we want God's blessing. We haven't changed in thousands of years. And so he goes to Jeremiah and says, hey, do you have a word? I want a blessing from God. And Jeremiah gives him a word, you're going to lose. Down in verse 12, seeing changes. Jeremiah is leaving. He's leaving the city to take care of some personal business. Remember how God gave him some land? Well, he's going to take care of that land. And while he's going out the gate, they stop him and they accuse him of being a traitor. I mean, verse 14, I mean, Jeremiah is angry. Are you kidding me? I mean, I've been the most loyal to the country. I've been the most loyal to God. He stood strong. He voiced the truth. And now they're accusing him of being a traitor. So what do they do? Verse 15 and 16, they arrest him and they beat him up. In verse 17, here comes the king. The king releases Jeremiah. He says, is there a word from the Lord? Let me tell you what he's doing. Hey, Jeremiah, I rescued you. So surely I've done one good thing. God's going to give me a good word. I haven't followed God, haven't listened to God, but I've done one thing. So Jeremiah, give me a good word. And Jeremiah said, yes, there is a word for you. You're going to be given to the hands of the Babylonians. In chapter 38, verse 4, they make another accusation against Jeremiah. They're saying, hey, he's demoralizing the army. I mean, he's saying we're going to lose. And, and that's, uh, uh, he's talking about defeat and destruction and devastation. He should be given a pep talk. In fact, Jeremiah is actually saying, if you want to survive, you must give up. That's what God is telling us to do. God is telling us to give up to the Babylonians. And they're saying, you realize he's demoralizing, he's a traitor? We can't have this. And so they want to kill him. And I love verse 6. Zedekiah says, I am the king. I can't do anything. That's a lie. He's the king. He's a coward. He doesn't want to go against his people. So they take Jeremiah and they put him into a well that's just filled with mud. Jeremiah, his whole message was not popular. His whole message was not what the people wanted. You see, the people wanted a sermon about mercy, but he's given them a sermon about justice. They wanted a God who wouldn't talk about their sins. They wanted a God who would wink at their sins. They didn't want a God who punished them for their sins, but Jeremiah spoke the truth. And Jeremiah ended in the well. I've said this before during this series. Let me say it again. When you read the life of Jeremiah, he is in the center of God's will. And yet he has been beaten, tortured, 
thrown in prison, thrown in exile, and thrown in empty well. And he is in the center of God's will. Sometimes we have this idea, if you're in the center of God's will, nothing bad happens to you. You don't find that in Scripture. Jeremiah is rescued from the well. The king sends for him again. And again, he said, is there a word for me? And Jeremiah in verse 15 said, well, if I tell you, you'll just kill me. You haven't listened to me before. So the king offers him his protection. He said, Jeremiah, I will protect you. Just tell me the truth. Is there a word from God? And Jeremiah said, yes, you're going to fall. You're going to go down and be captured. Jeremiah never once hid anything from the king. Jeremiah ran his race with integrity. Jeremiah was faithful to God in everything. Here's a man, it's an amazing man. He endured beatings and imprisonment, that wail, death threats. Every time he got knocked down, he got back up and he was faithful to God. So here's the question. How? How can you do this? How can you do this for 40 years? Well, let's look at it. You see, there are some principles that he did, principles to persevere. Number one, we can persevere when we remember God is with us. When we remember that God is with us. All the way back in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10, God told Jeremiah, I'm going to use you to root out and pull down, to destroy and throw down. But, he said in chapter 1, I will always be with you. That was a promise in chapter 1. Everything Jeremiah has gone through, God has always been with him. Listen, through all the pain, through all the suffering, God says, Jeremiah, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be right there with you. And by the way, that is a promise that God has given to all of his children. I mean, throughout the Scripture, God gives us this promise, I'm going to be there for you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. Remember Abraham? In Genesis chapter 26, verse 24, he said, I will be with you to bless you. Remember Jacob, Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, I am with you to keep you. Uh, Israel, the whole country of Israel, uh, Isaiah 41, he said, I am with you to strengthen you. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8, I am with you to deliver you. Jesus telling the disciples and to us in Matthew chapter 28, I am with you to the end of the age. God has given to us a promise. All of God's children have this incredible promise. God is not going to leave you. God is going to be there with you. The apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 writes, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love that verse because here's what he's saying. That word work means energy. We get the word energy from it. God is saying, I'm going to be your energy. All your energy is going to come from me. It's not going to come from your willpower. It's not going to come from any discipline. I'm going to be your energy. You're not going to go on your own power. I am always going to be with you. And because he is always with us, we have his power. That's what Jesus said. Jesus in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 18, he tells the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm not going to leave you alone, guys. I'm always going to be there for you. And then later on that chapter, chapter 14, verse 20, he said, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
Jesus said to the disciples, hey, guys, let me tell you, I will always be there with you. Do you realize the magnitude of that promise? Whatever you go through, whatever trials or tribulation you ever go through, God is right there step by step by step before you, beside you, and in you. That's how we persevere. Secondly, we can persevere when we stand by our convictions. When we can stand by our convictions. Go back and look at Jeremiah. There is a connection between his faith and his convictions. I mean, throughout his ministry, he was tempted to change his message. He was tempted, but God said in the beginning, chapter 1, uh, verse 18, he said, Jeremiah, I will make you an iron pillar and a bronze wall. Your convictions are going to stand. That is how you're going to persevere. You live by your conviction. Listen, a person with conviction knows what he believes, knows where he is going, and knows why he's going there. Convictions are not forced on people. Convictions are from choices. We understand who we are. We understand the truth of our mission. We understand the calling God has given to us. That's conviction. One writer said, Convictions are the mainspring of action, the driving powers of life. What a man lives are his convictions. Your convictions will help you persevere. Some of you may have seen the movie, The Chariots of Fire. Personally, I didn't like the movie. <laughs> I love the book. I love the story. Didn't like the movie. Love the song. I won't sing it for you. It's the true story of Eric Little, Liddell. 1924 Olympics, he was planning to compete in the 100 meters race. He had a gift for running. But on the way to the Olympics, he found out they were going to run on Sunday. Now, today, no one would care about that, but he made a commitment that he would honor Sunday, the Sabbath day, and he would do no work. He would not run a race on that day. Now, he had trained his life. He'd been trained his entire life for this race. The last four years, he'd been training for this race, and now he heard they're going to run my race on Sunday, and I'm convicted not to run on that, that day. He gets to Paris. And the Scottish government comes up to him and says, you got to run. You represent us. If you don't run, it's going to embarrass our nation. You must run. But he wouldn't run. So he did something unheard of. He ran another race. He spent his life training for the 100-meter race. Now he's going to run the 400-meter race. Listen, I ran track. There is a difference in 100 meters and 400 meters. The Sunday Eric was supposed to run, he was in church in Paris. The text of the pastor was from Isaiah chapter 40. Here's the text. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. The day of the race, an American trainer came up to Eric and handed him a note. He opened up. It was 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Those that honor me, I will honor. Eric won the race and broke the world's record. His convictions were unbroken. He honored God, and God blessed him. If you know the rest of his story, he ended up in a prison camp for Jesus in China. 
but he still persevered. Every day of your life, you'll be challenged by your convictions. Every day, you'll be challenged to give up your convictions. The person who perseveres will make the right choices to have those convictions. Which leads me to my third point. We can persevere when we make right choices. We can persevere when we make right choices. You see, you study people who persevere. They choose not to stay down. They choose to get up. The choices we made yesterday affects our today, and the decisions we make today will determine our tomorrow. We are our choices. One philosopher actually said that. He said, we are our choices. The choices you make determine who you are. And obedience is always a choice. No one forces us to obey God. No one forces us to obey God's will. It boils down to choices. Are we going to choose to follow God? Are we going to choose to make the right choices? Are we going to choose to be faithful? Are we going to choose to be loving? Are we going to, be cho- are we going to choose to be available for God when God needs us? Those are choices we need to make. And here's what a lot of people want to do. They, they want to make choices, but they want easy choices. Listen, the easy way is almost never the right way nor the best way. You know, Everybody, I want the easiest way to lose weight. There is none, okay? What's the easiest way to make money? There is none. What's the easiest way to grow spiritually? There is none. What's the easiest way to develop strong personal relationships? There is none. What's the easiest way to be a good parent? There is none. There are always hard decisions, choices you have to make every single day. The world wants easy. That's why all the book titles has easy in their titles, because people buy the books. But in the real world, it's usually not the easy way. That's the best way and the way that would work. We cannot focus on the easy way in our walk with God. We must look at what we must do. That's why Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. For many of those who enter it, Jesus told us, it's not going to be easy. You know, people every now and then say, I want to go on an easy mission trip. doesn't exist. I, I, want, a, I want a easy way to learn how to study the Bible. No, it doesn't exist. I want to learn an easy way to trust God with my finances. doesn't exist. But you've got to make those choices. Your choices determine that. And finally, fourth, we can persevere when we refuse to compromise on biblical truth. We can persevere when we refuse to compromise on biblical truth. Throughout Jeremiah's life, not one time did he compromise God's message. Now, if he had compromised God's message, he would not have been thrown into prison. If he had compromised God's message, he would not have been thrown in the well. If he had compromised on God's message, he would have been honored in the kingdom. But not one time did Jeremiah compromise biblical truth? That is how he persevered. You see, if you are sold out on the biblical truth, the world can't touch you. Oh, they can try. But nothing the world can do can hurt you. I've told the, I've told the story before here. I told it last week to the missionaries about John Christendom. John Christendom was born in 347 A.D., died 407. He was a great preacher, great orator. They called him Golden Mouth. He, he just was, had magic when he, when he preached. And, but one day they brought him before the emperor. 
And the emperor said, you have to give up Christ or I will banish you from the kingdom. John Christian said, you cannot. For the whole world is my father's land. You can't banish me. It all belongs to God. The king said, the emperor said, well, then I will take away all your property. And Christian said, well, you cannot. My treasures are in heaven. Well, then I will take you to a place where there is not a friend to be spoken to. You cannot. I have a friend who's closer than a brother. I have Jesus Christ. I can talk to him all the time. And the emperor yelled at him, then I will take your life. John Chrysler said, you cannot. My life is hid with God in Christ. And the emperor looked to the people. And cried out, what do you do with a man like this? When you stand on biblical truth, when you won't compromise, the world cannot get to you. Oh, we'll suffer, but the world can't get to us. I mean, even today, we have Christians around the world in prison because they will not compromise their faith. We do mission work in Cuba. I remember one of the first times I was there, they, they introduced me to this man. And he, they said, this is so-and-so. He's been to seminary. Okay. There's a seminary in Cuba. Uh, and they introduced me to this man. He, he's been to seminary. Okay. He's been to seminary twice. Huh, two degrees? The, that man's been to seminary three times. That man's been there seminary four times. And finally, I have this, this dumb look on my face. It's a gift. And they realized I didn't know what they were talking about because there is a seminary in Cuba. The pastor said, oh, pastor, when you go to jail for your faith, we call that going to seminary. I am speaking to pastors where most of them have gone to jail for their faith. And they want me to talk to them about being faithful. When you do not compromise biblical truth, the world really can't get to you. Today, you may be struggling. You may be trying to figure out how to persevere. Remember, God is with you. Stand by your convictions. Make the right choices. And refuse to compromise biblical truth. Would you stand and bow your heads? You see, I know this very possible that some of you here today or those of you watching online, you're struggling. Maybe you want to give up on your faith because it's hard. Maybe you're struggling with finances, struggling with health, struggling with spiritual questions. Maybe you're struggling in a relationship and you're tired. Or maybe you're just mad because God hasn't given to you what you want him to give to you. Maybe you've been valuing success or popularity more than things of God. I, I don't know where you are today. But I know this, 
you can persevere. And it begins by giving your life to Jesus Christ, the one who persevered for us on a cross 2,000 years ago, who died for us. And if you're here this morning watching online and you want to give your life to Christ, just admit that you are a sinner, saying, God, I can't save myself. I don't have the power. I need forgiveness from you. You need to believe that Jesus died for you. Jesus, the Son of God, came, died on a cross 2,000 years ago, was buried, and on the third day arose. You need to confess, saying, God, I give you everything. I'm holding nothing back. I'm not giving you 90% of my life or 99% of my life. God, I'm giving you every single thing. Take away whatever you want. I want to follow you. If you're watching online and you want to give your life today to Christ, if you would just text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will call you today and talk to you about your decision. But if you're here this morning in person and you need to give your life to Christ, will you do that? We begin singing in a moment. Just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers about giving your life to Christ. Maybe there's another decision. Maybe you need to join this church or, or maybe you're being called a mission field or being called to, as a minister. Or maybe there's just a prayer concern on your mind that you need to pray privately or publicly. I don't know. But I do know this. God is with you. He hasn't left you. And you can persevere. Father, speak to us now with clarity. The Father will know it's your voice. Father, you've told us that we'll have trials and tribulation in this world, but you've given to us a great promise that you're with us day by day, moment by moment, never letting us go. And so, Father, in the next few moments, this time of opportunity, let us make decisions, make wise choices, that will change everything. In Jesus' name, amen.